If you haven't joined us, let, let me um, invite you to do this with us. I want, you to enjoy, I want you to join the church body in prayer and in fasting this month. There are 30 days we're trying to do prayer and fasting. So if you would like to come to the church to pray, the prayer room is easily accessible from, from the west side. Um, and so the door is open and you can come in and pray. And I also would, would invite you to take a time of fast. If you don't have a medical condition, maybe take a day or, or a lunch or a portion of a day, maybe a couple of days and fast. Prayer and fasting is, are critical to our lives. It's, it's biblical. So we begin our year this way each year, and we've been doing this for some time now. It's a benefit to our church body, and I feel like it helps us to focus our minds. Tonight we're, we're in the middle of this season of prayer and fasting and indeed sacrifice, and, and so I'm I want to prepare you to think uh, or to train your mind according to the Scripture. We want to think according to the Scripture. This, this takes an, a multiplicity of things, but not the least of which is self-control, but it, it means that there's an absence of secular thought. Now, secular thought is what we're inundated with every day. It means we're flooded with secular thought. And anyone who is in any educational process, um, you, are being, you are being trained to think secular. And there is a value in thinking in a pragmatic way, you know, detailed pragmatic way. But, but when it comes to the scripture, there's a, there's a stark deviation between the world's educational process and the Bible. See, the Bible was not written for the benefit of the American society. It was not written with, with Americanism in mind. It was written through the eyes of a monarchy. That God was the king of all. That he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. So it's a very different concept than a republic, which we are, we're a republic democracy, this is what the United States is. It's very different from, from every other system, even the feudal systems. The scripture is unique, and, and the reason why is because it's God-breathed, it's inspired by God, it's God's word for us today. Now, in your handout, I'm, I'm giving you a, a, a couple of clues, and maybe you'll, you'll catch them. But in the view of, of 6,000 years of human history, which is what we have approximately, 50 or 100 years is really not that long. Now, for us, 100 years is, is forever. 50 years is, well, you're very, that's old. Um, uh, you, you, you qualify as AARP, I think, somewhere along that line. I don't, I don't really know what that age is. Uh, but I have hit it because uh, I got the invitation. I didn't sign up. I, I, I sent it back and said, wrong address. Okay. Um, but about a hundred years ago, maybe even less, most churches, in fact, all churches thought differently. They thought differently. They didn't think in the secular realm that people think today. And they were convinced of several things. Now, to be convinced is very much like uh, a conviction. You have a conviction. So to have a conviction means that you're convinced of something, some idea. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be real uh, uh, forward here. If you have a conviction against premarital sex, what it means is you'll take precautions not to put yourself in that position. Okay, if you have a conviction against something or about something, You'll put yourself in a place where you can safely guard that thought, that conviction. Are you all still with me now? Are we, are we together? So, before I even begin, I just want you to know, it's important for all of us to have our convictions. And a conviction should be a personal matter. It's a choice that you make. It's not something that I dictate. In fact, I can't give you a conviction. 
That's something that I have. I have my convictions. I mean, you might adopt something that I'm doing, but you have to have a conviction. What is your conviction? Your conviction might be, might be simplistic. It might, might just be following the laws of the land or not, you know, not stealing from a store or, you know, not, you know, there's, there's convictions that you might have. Maybe some people have convictions about where they go to eat, you know, because they don't want it, they don't want to patronize a place that they think is unsavory. Um, we were in a we were in a massive conference, and and there was there was about twenty thousand Pentecostal, most of them preachers, and we just flooded all these restaurants and and walked in, and 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 all the tables were full, and there was an empty bar, and um, and all the people that were showing us said you could sit at the bar and eat. And there was preachers saying, I'm not sitting at the bar. I'm not eating at the bar. I'll, I'll sit two feet away, but I don't want to sit there. So I went and sat at the bar. Went, no, it's okay. No, no. That's, that's, not, that's not true. It, 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 just give me my food. Well, what is the, what is the, what is the message there? Well, they thought, wait a second, I've, I've been preaching against what's happening there. All my life. So I don't want to present myself there, even if there's no one else there and there's, and, and the, God bless the bartender. Maybe he was making his living off of selling alcohol. He sold none that entire time because there was, we were flooding this room. And Applebee's has this and all these places. So in, in the, in the course of these years, decades, and, the, and there, and really it's not that long. There has been a lot of changes made inside, now we could say the church, but inside the concept of our hearts and the thinking. And of course, many years ago, it could have been a little bit different. Maybe perhaps social or economic uh, uh, conditions would warrant something differently. But modernism has, has taken something away from us. It's given something to us, but it's taken something away from us. And I write in your, in your handout just under the thin line, the thin veneer of the pseudo-Christian, and, and, and none of us uh, uh, qualify for that. But there's an outward declaration, I'm a Christian. It's, it's people who, who and, 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 and I'm not against the emblem, we're going to talk about it, but it's people who wear maybe a cross, or have a cross somewhere, or have, you know, have a, a fish symbol on the back of their car, or whatever that might be. But they're making these declarations, but they, they have no, they have a disdain for personal sacrifice. So they have no relationship with the emblem by which they display. So the cross... And I'm speaking tonight about the second cross, which is your cross. Everyone say, my cross. My cross. Jesus demands that an identity congruent with the cross of Calvary is placed upon our lives also. There's no way around this. I mean, there's nothing I can say that will change this. In fact, in fact, to be true to the word of God and to be right with God, I cannot withhold this from you. You, you, have, you have to understand this because this is... The basic rudiment foundation of all real Christians. It's, it's, it's basic. So, uh, I would love to have a handout if someone will, will bring me a handout too. That way I can stay with you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Now you, you need a handout. But you'll get one in the back. They're five dollars. Five dollars. It's got a lot of money. So, I want to talk to, to you a little bit about the cross of Jesus Christ. We, we, we need to get to our cross, but before we get to our cross, we have to establish his cross because we don't understand our cross until we understand the cross. When I talk about the cross, it is a distinction that, um, that Jesus alone had. So first of all, let me just say that it was preordained. And the Bible talks about this lamb. Um, in the mind of God, he sees time like you would put a ruler in front of your face. You can see the front of the ruler, the back of the ruler. You can see both sides of the ruler. You can see the end and the beginning. This is where God stands. He stands in time or over time like a ruler. Like time measures from, from zero, one inch, two inch, all the way to 12 inches. God sees that. So... He is the Alpha and Omega. That means that he's, he was at the end before the beginning began. 
So this is God. He's, he's the ever-present help in what? Don't say in time of trouble, because it doesn't say in time. It just says in trouble. In trouble. So he, he's, he, he can step in and out of time. He's not one-dimensional. We are one-dimensional. I'm actually even half-dimensional. We can only go forward. But God sees all time. So the cross was ordained when creation took place. God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin and be cast out. And he knew that blood was the sacrifice. And so the cross was preordained. It was in play. It was in play. And you have to know that because he was planning on your recovery even before you came to fall. He cares about you. Number two, in a very practical sense, the cross of Jesus Christ was a tool of punishment and shame. It, 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 it was often used. The cross that Jesus carried and used, there's a very good chance, the highest probability, that it had been used to kill and crucify other people. It was not a brand new piece of wood. Wood not only was scarce in those days because of the many um, uh, overrunning victories and people who had destroyed the area burned when, when when armies came through and there were there were empires that 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 took over there, there was a there was always destruction even in Jerusalem today there are layers of civilization when you when you go um, you can walk down I've looked down and, and walked down to another layer when when the city was burned they just built they didn't have excavators. They just built on top of the burned ashes and built on until finally maybe some 30 feet above in some ways, in some places, there's, they've dug down and found a well in a little dwelling area there. So when Jesus bore the cross, it was an instrument of death because the Romans had nearly perfected elongating agony. They made it so that Jesus Christ or whoever would die... Uh, would spend the maximum amount of time suffering. And that's the cross that Jesus carried. It was an instrument of shame. It was public humiliation and extreme punishment. So I'm always careful to see shiny gold crosses and platinum and silver crosses because they are far removed from the ruggedness and blood-stained real cross that Jesus carried. Don't get too enamored with shiny things on a wall because that might be in the shape, but remember, it was an instrument of punishment and death. Here's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus... the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. Everyone say endured. This is a key element in the scripture of Hebrews 12. He endured the cross. Despising the shame and is set down the right hand of the throne of God. That is a position of authority. That is an anthropomorphism. That's a figurative speech. The right hand of God is, 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 is a figure of of authority. That because of what he endured, he, he has now the authority. Number three, these aspects of, and I have two, two parts here, but we're, we're covering the first part, the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the instrument for the redemptive blood. This is very, uh, this is, this is a, a, an, an issue of divine proportions that the blood was spilled. So the cross became the instrument where the blood was spilled. You were redeemed, how? With the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish, without spot. So this is an instrument. God used the instrument because we needed to be redeemed. This is the saving point of the whole world. And that's why we, 
We sing about the old rugged cross. We look to the cross because this was an instrument that brought about the redemption of our lives. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, they, 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 they weaved some, some fig leaves together, some olive branches together, whatever it was, and they, and they, they, they tried to cover themselves up. And, and God said, where are you? And they said, we're, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? They said, because we're naked. God said, who told you that you were naked? Well, sin awakened that re- reality to them. But God did not allow them to, to use their own covering. Instead, God killed the first animals and took the skin of the animals and made a cloak from the neck down to cover them. So death was the price of covering and that set in motion a long trail of blood all the way until Jesus Christ died. Number four is this cross is an unwelcoming emblem for the, belie- for the unbeliever. For the preaching of the cross, Paul wrote, is to them that perish foolishness. Why would anyone preach that? But unto us it, which are saved is the power of God. So, so this is not a real welcoming sign. In fact, if you, if you would... Just take a little note today. America used to, used to think of itself as a Christian nation. And that is why in the Arlington Cemetery, when the soldiers died on the battlefield, when they were buried there, white, small white crosses are put at their headstones. That, that was the emblem that likened them to the sacrifice for our nation. But today, there are lawsuits against having those crosses at the headstone because people want to remove all semblance of the cross. It, it bothers them. It reminds them. Of course, we believe they should stand, right? We should believe they should, they should remain. And we know that, that they're just not a, a, a monument of historical reference, but they are a reminder of our founding and our birth, and what our core belief was and should be that brought us to this point. The cross. The cross. Number five, and finally, the cross is the polarization of people. So not, not, it's not just unwelcoming, but there's, now there's a massive division. I'll, I'll read... From Philippians, Uh, this is not on your handout, but I'll I'll read from Philippians chapter 3. This is verse 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. Paul is very, he's grieving. That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. They mind earthly things. There are a segment of people in every society. And they become the enemies of the cross. It, it, is, it, it is the most tragic of all to find people who declare themselves believers who could also be the enemies of the cross. Can you imagine? Here's in your... Your handout, here is your scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And I quoted it before, but I think you need to know this again. It is, it is, it is the beauty of it. Both of, these, both of these points, the unwelcoming emblem and, and the polarization of people, you always go back to the preaching of the cross. There's always something to be said about People who preach the cross, because anyone who really preaches the cross is defined as true Christianity, as true Christians, and they're promoting true Christianity. Now, from the cross comes this introduction that Jesus gave, and in fact, he's going to set a precedent. It comes from not just one encounter, but, but there's a pivotal encounter. It's what we all have to decide. As I go through this, I, and I look at it, 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 it makes me uncomfortable. It, it kind of disturbs my, uh, my peaceful surroundings. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Here is, here is a, 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 a man 
who has spent the duration of his life following the law. He's done that which was right. He, he did the good thing. But Jesus said, if you want to have eternal life, then go your way and sell what you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have a treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. Now, he ties those two things together because for him, his cross was the devaluing of the things that he had or depletion. It was purposeful depletion. That was his cross to bear. And so Jesus gives this ruler, this this young man, this middle-aged guy, who, whatever age he was, he gives him the prerequisite for following. Here's Mark eight thirty four. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, this, now this to all the people, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Because the cross is going to make some demands of you. I'm going to walk you through that. But, but, the prior directive to following Jesus Christ is self-denial. Okay, write this on the side of your paper. One of the greatest gifts is self-perception. Write self-perception. Self-perception. To perceive yourself. That means to see yourself. You ever, taken, you ever had someone take a video of you and you didn't know they were taking a video of you? And they posted it somewhere and you, and you, you wondered what they were thinking. And then you called them on the phone, set them, set them straight. I, I actually, I've carried the analogy too far. I don't, I don't know if you, example, I don't know. But we don't always see ourselves because, <clears throat> because we're only looking outward. We're not looking inward. And, when we do see ourselves, it's usually a, a picture that we've taken or someone's taken when we're smiling and we're prepared. Now, I know that many of you have taken selfies or had other people take pictures of you. And I, my, my best guess is that you've erased most of the pictures that were taken and you only kept one or two. And then the one or two that you took, you put a filter on and you kind of slimmed yourself up and darkened your hair and, you, you know. And you, you should do some of that. You know, you ever take a picture in your eyes, you know, they look like they, 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 something's wrong with it, you know. And you can take your little cursor and push the eyeball and you can, you know, you can change, you can fill it in. And you can even turn them different colors, I guess, if you want to. But, you know, you just don't want to look like, like a mountain lion caught in, a, caught in a headlight. You don't see yourself, really. In fact... We rarely see ourselves at our worst time. We don't see ourselves at our worst time. One of my friends was given uh, advice and, and questions to the prospective young man who was going to marry his daughter. And he asked all kinds of questions. Then he said to the young man, he said, Are you going to love her all your life? Oh, yes. Are you going to treat her good? Oh, yes, sir. He said, Are you going to treat her good when she doesn't treat you good. Of course, you know, he's going to say, of course, yes. Because at that point, you say anything just to get your way. I, I, I went through that. My father-in-law told me. I asked for his blessing. Um, um, I asked for Papa Joe. I went to Papa Jay. I said, Jay, can I have your blessing? He, he never heard of that before. He never heard anyone ask him that. He just kind of looked stunned. And he looked up at me and said, I bring, I bring Tammy Joe coffee at 5 o'clock every morning. And then it was something like, you're going to do that? And of course I said, of course, you know. <laughs> I got to find out what five o'clock in the morning is first, but I'm going to find whatever that is, I'm going to find it. <laughs> um, I have brought her coffee a lot, but it wasn't five o'clock, but I, I haven't done that. So, 
self-perception is a critical is critical for us. If you could see what other people see, if you could see that, it would it could cause you to change something. But because we have a tough time, and if you saw it, then 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 there'd be an awareness of yourself. And this is the problem we have. We have a we have a very we have a shallow awareness of ourselves. Unless you have a friend, unless you have a friend that can that you're, you allow to speak to you about how you look, how you appear, what you're, what you're sounding like. And self-denial is a, is, a, is a big deal to self. That's why fasting is so critical. Fasting is self-denial. I often say that fasting is like riding in the car with God. And fasting is what turns down the radio, the noise, so you can hear him. He's always talking, but sometimes we, we have so much noise in our life. Self-denial actually allows us to get closer to God. He's always close to us. He's always surrounding us. He's always trying to talk to us. But until you get into self-denial, it's hard for you to hear him. If, here's an axiom of truth. Are you ready for the axiom of truth? He never walks away from you. If anyone leaves, you're the one. You're the one. So that means that you have to have self-denial. You can't even get to your cross until you learn how to deny yourself. You, you, have, you, be, you have to be able to say to yourself, no, I'm not going to do that. And your friends say, well, what's wrong with it? Nothing, but I'm just not going to do that right now. I just feel like that's going to lead me down a road where my mind, remember, we're getting back our thoughts, so we're thinking about God and not thinking about the things that you would normally think about. And so there's a lot of things that we can do in life that are not sinful, but they clog our brain and our mind and our thoughts so that we're not thinking about godly things or the kingdom. We're thinking about temporal things and secular things. So it it takes an element of self-denial. And once again, it's kind of like this conviction word that I gave you. No one can impose on you self-denial. You have to have your own self-denial. Even your spouse, even if you're married, they can't make you deny yourself. You have to, this is a personal, internal thought. You deny yourself. All right, are we okay? okay? We're going to make it through this. Barely, we're going to make it through. And now finally, Matthew 10, 38. Jesus said, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. These are strong and very harsh words from the Lord. If you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy of him. So this is, this is without, well, let's just get into it here. Let me give you the aspects of the second cross. Because the first cross is the cross of Calvary, and the second cross is your cross. It's what you pick up. And let me just say to you, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. Everyone has a cross to bear. Everyone. Everybody has a cross to bear. Mm -hmm. Mm. Let me just give you a few aspects of, of the second cross. Number one, it's unique. That cross is an individual thing. I'll I'll offer this to you in the scripture. Paul went to the Lord and prayed. And a young man who fell out of window and died, the young man came back to life. Paul laid hands on people and they were recovered from their diseases. Paul prayed and demons, demonic spirits came out of people. But when Paul prayed for himself that a thorn in his flesh would be removed... The Lord said no, and Paul went to the Lord three times, and the Lord denied him all three times. Now, the thorn in the flesh is a figurative thought. It meant there was something wrong with Paul. It it could have been his poor eyesight. He had been beaten many times also. But chances are, and my personal opinion is, it was his memory. See, Paul was the one who was persecuting all the Christians, the people that he now preached to and the people he called brothers and sisters. At one point in his life when his name was Saul, he was putting them into prison. He was separating moms and dads. Some of those parents were killed in prison 
and the children wandered the streets by themselves. He had went to Antioch and received permission slips from the rulers of Antioch to go to Damascus and to imprison more people. He, the Bible says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Threatenings and slaughter. When you get into the book of Acts, there's this administrator, a church administrator, is confronted by a bunch of people. He starts to preach to the people about Jesus Christ. They were so mad at him, they picked up stones and start to throw the stones. But before they threw their stones, they had these heavy coats, and they couldn't really get a good strike in. So they took their coats, and they wanted to put them somewhere safely. So Paul, his name was Saul, kept all their coats. He was holding the coats of the men who killed Stephen and stoned him to death. Paul. Paul had a, a thorn in his flesh, and it is my thought my opinion that it was a haunting memory he could not get rid of the memory he wished he could have forgot but he could not forget and if I read through all the scriptures and I even even look through Hebrews which I think Paul wrote at least most of the book of Hebrews we're not sure but he wrote 13 books of the New Testament it's very it's very clear that Paul had this had this he had this thing that that he needed to forget a few things he tried to purposely forget in fact sometimes he would say I purpose to do something else. I, I, I determined to do something. But when it came to that thorn, that thing that bothered him, he, he just had to carry it. He had to carry it. it. It wouldn't go away. It wasn't ever going to go away. The Lord allowed that. Maybe it was something he said to buffet me in my flesh, to, to keep me in a place where I couldn't get too proud, couldn't get too arrogant. You see, that cross... That Jesus carried was his. But you have a cross and it is unique. It has your name on it. Yes. See, it could be your memory. It could be something that happened in your life. No fault of your own. But you're going to carry that. And, and if you won't despise it, it'll help you in your life. It may not look like a help to you, but it will help you in your life. Number two, another aspect of that second cross is that it's unrecognizable. It's, it's hard to see. People don't see it really for what it is, especially for those who do right. Well, Master, I've kept the law from my youth up. I've, okay, let's, let's say it in, maybe in shallow terms. I've gone to church all my life. I sang in the choir. I, I'm an usher. I, I taught Sunday school. I've I'm, I'm one of the workers. I've served in the food pantry. I've, I've helped in all the departments. I've, I've done all these things. I'm, 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 I'm doing things. I'm, I've obeyed. I've been living a good life. In fact, I try to live the right way, righteousness. I'm living a wholesome life. I don't have any hidden things. I'm not struggling with addictions. I've, I've done right from young to where I'm at now. I've been doing it right. It's hard to see that, you see. Because, especially for those who have done good and do right, it's hard to see and recognize they have a cross to bear. It's hard. It's, it's almost unrecognizable. Because we think that the cross is a judgment against us for something we've done wrong. That's not true. We think that carrying our cross means that God's trying to punish us. That's not true. That's not true. He's not, he's not laying something on you because he's angry with you. That's not true. He's not angry. He, in fact, he has so much compassion and mercy on you. And you know what he does? He gives it a full day. Whatever that day is for him, it's 24 hours for us. Whatever that day is, he gives it a full day. And when the next morning, when we wake up, he starts all over again with mercies. His mercy is fresh. Every morning it's brand new. And if it were not so, we would be consumed. His mercy never gets stagnant. It never gets old. He doesn't leave it out all night. It's brand new every day. He loves you so much. And your cross is not a judgment against you. It's not punishment for your life. But it's something that you have to bear. And you will recognize it because you'll say, well, I, I can't believe that, that I've got to go through this. Well, let me just tell you, you have to go through it. You may not recognize it, but it's your cross to bear. 
We, we heard this many, many years ago. The, the man finally, he, he, was a, he was a phenomenal speaker, and he finally became the president of, of the university. And, and just shortly after being the president of the university, his wife uh, struggled in her health, and, and finally Alzheimer's uh, overtook her. And he resigned his post. And his staff and the close friends, his peers said, doctor, why would you do that? Why, why would you give it up? Your wife doesn't even know you. He said, I've got to go home. I'm going to take care of her. That's what I'm supposed to do now for the rest of my life until she's no longer here on this earth. And they said, she doesn't know you. And he said, yes, but I know her. It's a cross that he had to bear. You may not recognize it. That's right. But it's something that you have to pick up. And to do it, that meant that that gentleman had to deny himself. That's hard to recognize. Because we, we misinterpret and redefine things that were meant for our good. And people become angry at what God gave us to sharpen us and to help us. Yes. There are issues that we go through just because the Lord said, I want you to carry that. That's going to help you because you've got an issue of pride. You've got an issue of self-sufficiency. You think you're a survivor and without the cross, you would never call on me. Amen. I'm teaching here now. Number three is another aspect of this second cross. It's your cross. And that's that it's unwanted. No one runs to find what they have to bear. Nobody's running. You're kind of sadistic if you think that way. I can't wait till I get into a car accident. I, I mean, unless your car is a real beater and you're hoping somebody will hit you, I don't know. And I can't wait till I go bankrupt. I just can't wait till I get fired. I just can't wait till I have trouble. This, this is not normal. It's, something's wrong with your brain if you think that way. Nobody wants to have a burden. Nobody wants is running to have that. There are things that I have to carry that you cannot carry for me. And I don't always want it. It's an unwanted thing. I didn't, you ever heard someone say, I, I didn't ask to be born in this family. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask. Yes, because you didn't have any cognitive skills to ask. You were born and God had a purpose for you. And the purpose was for you to be saved and be an overcomer. See, no one, no one is running. In fact, they're, they're, they're running away from such a thing. They're running away from it. I, I've written about this. Um, I've, I've, in fact, I, I wrote about this small aspect. It'll show up in a bulletin at some juncture here in the future, maybe this Sunday. But cross-carrying is not a popular subject with the, with the Christian movement as a whole. It doesn't attract people. No. Um, I just preached a little bit about Jabez. Remember me preaching about Jabez? The prayer of Jabez is, is a prayer of gain. It's a prayer of, it's a prayer of expanding. I love that prayer. I want to pray that prayer. I, I, I want to have new territory. And that prayer of Jabez, it, it became a book. It sold millions of copies. In fact, in fact, the, the author, then after he was selling so many copies of this book, they decided to put out a journal called the Prayer of Jabez Journal. And all it was was a, was, was a notebook, but it cost you more money than a regular notebook because it said the Prayer of Jabez Journal. So you had, a, you had a journal that you wrote in, and they charged you more money for you to write. It had lines. They were empty. You know, maybe a picture or something. I saw it one time. I didn't buy it. But there are no books called the Prayer of Gethsemane. There are no journals called the Prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane. None. There are no conferences called Gethsemane Conference. Because that's the conference that would entail loss, suffering, not my will, but thine be done. I don't want this cup, but I'll drink it. I know what's going to happen next. But without Gethsemane, there's no submission of the human will. Think about the God-man dual nature, Jesus Christ the righteous, has to submit his 
personal human flesh to the divine order of the Father, the eternal spirit. And he says, not my will. What will? It's the human will. Because no one wants to go to the cross. Nobody. Not even the humanity, the perfect man, Christ Jesus, wanted to go to the cross of Calvary. No more than we would want to go. It's an unwanted, undesirable thing. It's not easily embraced because is it against, it's against our nature, our human flesh. Now, I had to make sure that I declared this because, and I, and I, my, I, I think there's a moment when you, when you live long enough, you, you kind of see things a little bit broader. It's, it's a broad view. I, I'm, I'm watching a, a, a full-out hedonistic society, hedonistic, it's instant gratification. It's instant gratification. It's instant gratification. It's right now. I want things right now. I want success right now. I want, I want everything that, that my grandfather worked for, I want it right now. I want, I want to drive the best. I want to live in the best. I want to, drive, I want to wear the best. I want it right now. I, I don't want to make an investment. Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to go through all of that? Hedonistic is... is it's happening through drive-throughs, especially now through through all this time. People are going through drive-throughs, and and I'm just reading where there's more and more anger at drive-throughs because people are not getting the proper order and or on time, or or this is coming out cold, or it's not it's not heated the right way. I didn't ask for pickles, and people are yelling and they're screaming and they're cussing and they're honking their horn and they're they're staying there and they're throwing the food back in and, and anger. There's a, there's a bunch of it's hedonistic. I want things right now. This is where we are, and and the cross limits you, it slows you down, it puts you in a vice so that your flesh cannot overcome the Holy Spirit. And, and perhaps, 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 the only way for you to be an overcomer is for you to humble yourself beneath the cross. Yes. Don't, don't you know that there are young children taking care of their very ill fathers and mothers? They think nothing of that? They just, they just know they have limitations. They're, they're taking care of... of, of their, I, I've, met, I've met young kids, not yet teenagers, barely even, almost not even teenagers, barely teenagers too, living in homes with grandparents that the grandparents can't even get around and they're helping them. They're, 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 they're doing all the chores and doing all the things that, that, that kids their age have never even thought of doing. It's, 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 it's limited them. It's expanded them in many ways. It's also limited their ability. Right now, all of the, all of the young people right now, you, about a hundred years ago, you would be responsible for paying the bills in the, in the house and getting the food and making sure everything was, 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 was in order. That's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this now because, because we got to stop being hedonistic. We have a lot of stuff, and the more stuff you have, the more pledge you need. And the more stuff you have, the more Windex you need, the more cleaners you need, the more storage buildings you need, the more space you need, the more sheds you need, the more closets you need. You need organizers. The more stuff we have. And we're enamored with stuff because, I don't know, if we think that maybe we, at the end, if we have the most stuff, that we win the race. You're not winning the race. The cross limits you. Amen. And I know that all of you are appreciating this very much, so I'll move on to the next point. Here's number four of the aspects of your cross. It's necessary. The cross is necessary. This is not an additional aspect of the Christian life. This is not something, well, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I, I'll add that on. No, this is necessary for your life. The cross is necessary. It is a necessary component. It's critical. It's critical. That's why people gravitate and run to the motivational prosperity preacher. Because, because they're trying to get away from the necessity of the cross. See, the prosperity preacher, he, by virtue of his consumption, he must refrain from preaching and teaching about the individual cross. You, you, if you hear anyone always talking about how you can gain and get better and do better in this life. Well, the cross is not like that. In fact, the cross is restrictive. In fact, it, it, it not only limits you, but it takes things from you. It, 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 sometimes it, some, sometimes it, could, it could just strip you of the things that you, de- you desire and love the most. But it's necessary 
in the scripture. In fact, you can't even be worthy of Jesus Christ without carrying your cross. And your cross, your self-denial, might mean that you can't do the things that you would like to do. You can't go or live in the place where you want to live. You, it might mean you can't even take the job that you wanted to take. Because the cross says, yes, but that's going to lead you in a place where I'm not going to allow. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you start hearing about religious people or people who use the doctrine of Christ, which is, which is really not the doctrine of Christ at all, but they just use his name, now that type of community will always attract more people than cross-bearing people. Cross, cross preachers do not attract large crowds. They just don't. Especially in America, they don't. Especially in a, in a society that's enamored with, with gain and, and ambition and growing themselves and being better and trying to get more stuff. I feel like, I feel like I've touched a nerve and I think I should just talk about stuff for a little bit. Because we got a lot of stuff and it's clogging your brain, it's clogging your mind. Yeah. It's clogging your time, it's stealing your time. Stealing your weekends. You should never have anything that steals your, your Sundays. Don't, don't, don't have stuff that steals your Sundays. I, was, I, I left a revival. It was years ago. I left and I was in Wisconsin. I came back home and a lady called me and she said, my pastor gave me your number and said I could call you. And I said, well, w- w- what can I do for you? She said, would you just pray for my 14-year-old son? He, he doesn't want to come to church anymore. And I said, well, well, why would he not want to come to church? My mind immediately thought I didn't have a vote when I was 14. What, 14? 14, I could, I could decide? No. I never had a choice, choice to go to church. <laughs> that was never presented at our home. We're, we go to church. That's what we do. And, and I said, well, why would you? And, 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 and I said, I, something just made me ask the lady. I, didn't, I couldn't even really remember. And I said, well, how many times have you and your husband been to church in the last six months? And there was a little pause on the phone. She said, well, well, well Brother Harper, we, we just bought a boat. And the only time we can go on the boat is, you know, on the weekends because we work so hard and my husband puts in such long hours and it's just our relaxing time. Well, let me tell you, your, your 14-year-old is not going to go to church on Sunday while you're on a boat. And then when you decide that the season's over and the water got a little cold, now you want to be all committed. You ruined it. You ruined it. Let me tell you, you ruined it. Parents... Hear me when I tell you this. This is not the place where you begin to have a walk with God. Your cross might be limiting. And the stuff that you have in your life may need to go so that you can have more Jesus time, joy, and speaking. But the problem is, you don't want your cross. You want your car. I feel like I'm in the midst of, of, of once upon a time friends. <laughs> Let me just get to number five because this is here. here we're, we're on this part now. Number five is another aspect of, of your cross. It's that it's, it's not transferable. It's untransferable, which is actually a word. You can just put non-transferable, but it's, 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 it's non, no, not, cannot be. Regardless of your love for your kids, your intent, you cannot give your cross away and you cannot pick up their cross. And this is one of the problems that we have in our churches today where parents are trying to keep their kids from any suffering. Well, I, I just can't believe you've been treated like that. That's just horrible. Wait, wait a second. No. No, people are going to mistreat people. No, you should not be sympathizing in your home. You should be saying, well, let's learn how to forgive. Let's learn how to forgive. Did Jesus not forgive you? Has anyone ever said anything ugly to you and you thought in your mind? They must be hurting. There must be something going on for them to say that. Look behind the, 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 the wording and you might find a wounded person. All they know how to do is wound other people. That's right. May, may, maybe. You can't keep someone. You can't transfer or, or take someone else's cross. You can't get rid of it. I wrote this down. The damage done is when parents remove sacrifices from their children. Do not remove sacrifices from your kids. I, I, 
if, if, a, if a little child or somebody or a young person, whoever comes up and says, Mom, Dad, I, I've been saving all my nickels and quarters and I want to give $20 to the building fund. I, I've been working all this time. I want to give this. Don't say, oh, honey, I'll give for you. That's the worst thing you could ever do. Let them make that sack. Don't say, you know what, I'm okay, but you know what, we're going to make sure you get your $20 and quarters back. That's the worst thing you could ever do. You're hurting them. You're taking away the joy that comes with the sacrifice. Hear me, young people. I, I preach Sunday. I hope you can go back and hear the word that I preach Sunday. I want you to remember this. If you employ sacrifice, sacrifice something for the Lord, for the church, for, for your walk with God. If you'll sacrifice, you'll become strong and powerful and pick up that cross. Whatever it is, you might say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm a little lonely I, and, and I'm struggling right now. It's okay. That's a cross you're going to bear right now for a little while. It won't, it won't be like that forever. You, 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 if you have a burden for someone or a burden for somebody in your family, that's a cross that you're bearing. Hear me. Can everyone hear me now? You bear the cross. Sometimes the crosses that we bear, it's a burden. It's a burden. God's not just taking it away. He wants you to bear the burden. Can't give it away. And don't take, try to take it from someone. Because when you do that, you ruin them. And you feed their flesh. And you remove from them the depth that only sacrifice can bring. Nothing brings depth and roots like sacrifice. Nothing. Number six, demarcation. A line. Demarcation. It's a line. You take the cross and you're, you're, you're going to be identified with Jesus Christ. You deny it and you'll be lost. There are no, there's no middle ground here. There's no gray area. It's a line of demarcation. The cross draws a line. The cross is very much like tithing and offerings. And I don't think offering is a, is a dollar more than, more than your tithes. I think an offering is significant. It's significant. But the cross is very much like ties. If you give, you're blessed, windows of heaven open. If you don't give, you're a thief and a robber and you're destined for hell. There's no middle ground there. There's no middle ground. The cross, there's no middle ground. You take it, you're with the Lord, you're worthy. You don't take it and you're lost. You're not worthy of him. There's no great, it's a permanent line of demarcation. Your cross. And you've got to determine what that is. Amen. Well, pastor, why do I, why am I living with this? Why am I struggling with this? Well, I, I can't answer all of that, but it could be, this is the design of God across something that you're going to have to carry for, for a while. Yeah. And finally, number seven, the cross, your cross. Let me just pause before I give you this answer. Let me just pause and just let me let you know this. There's a joy in living for the Lord. It's a good life living for God. And, and he, the Lord prepared a way for us individually so that, so that we could make it. I, I remember one day, um, Watching my dad, my mom, uh, they they were they were doing their thing in, in the church, and dad was preaching, mom was playing the piano, and and um, I remember distinctly that day I had an awareness that this was our life. I, I don't know. I had these thoughts when I when I was young. This was our life. My, my parents never um, told me that it was a bad life. They said it was a good life. In fact, my mother said this was the best life. I told her later, Mom, do you know we were poor? She said, you weren't poor. You were rich. You had everything. Now, I, I, I can tell you right now, uh, the balance sheet did not show that. That that I know that couldn't be true. I mean, my my grandfather he he was a butcher. He he raised a cow or two every once in a while. We had he would butcher the cow. He had chickens and we had gardens and 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 we had all the fresh fresh garden and we had well water. Today that's called they call that organic. 
In my day, we call that being poor. <laughs> you, know, you know, you had fresh meat and fresh water and fresh produce, and you, you picked it right. And my mother said, this is the best life. This is great life. And when I was young, I was thinking, well, well, well you know, I, I, I'm watching this happen, and I realize we don't have a lot of things. <laughs> but they instilled in me that no matter what happened in life, it was still far greater, far better than any alternative that I could find. And a perception and a mindset was in me that living for the Lord, no matter what the struggle was, was always better than any other place in life. Any other place in life. And that carried with me from a, just a baby to this very day. And, and because of that, when there are struggles and when there are things that I carry that I, I'd like to get rid of, I, I wish I could. It's, they're unwanted, but I know they're necessary and the Lord is saying no to me. I would just say, okay, Lord, I, I will accept this and I'll carry this because there are things that I have to carry. And most of the things I carry are memories and burdens, memories of, 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 of the past and, 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 and burdens for the people. Because I never clock out. There's no, there's no punch card. There's no, I don't ever leave it. I'll leave you. I'll, I'll leave this place. I'll leave this pulpit. I never really leave it. I, I'm, I'm always here. I'm always... And, and that's something that I am working with every day. But I don't do it with grief. I do it with joy. Because I know this is the plan of God. And I see... I see the fruit of the labor because people's lives are changed and my life is changed. And the most important thing is I have children that love the Lord. Amen. But I have to tell you about this, this cross. I got to tell you what it is because you need to know this. And here's number seven. The cross is demanding. It makes demands of you. It changes your view. It makes demands of you. And that demand that it makes of you changes your view of God, of yourself, and of other people. You see, when you're on your cross, when you get up on your cross, you're elevated a little bit higher than your surroundings. And it gives you a better view of what life's about. It, it allows you to understand. I want everyone to go buy cross trainers. I like cross trainers. I'm, I'm not into basketball high tops and all that stuff. I used to wear a pair of shoes specifically designed for racquetball. They had a little wider sole. But, man, you, you really couldn't move very well in them. And I, I traded them for cross trainers because a cross trainer can take you just about anywhere you want to go. You can wear them on any occasion. I think we have to employ some cross trainers in here. We're going to train people how to bear your cross. You do it with joy. Whatever that is, you do it with joy. Because you'll have strength and you'll have weakness You'll have, you'll have your mountain and you'll have your valley. But whatever state you find yourself in, learn how to be content in that state. And if you learn how to be content, it means you have to abolish the ideas of your society. Amen. All right. I feel like, I feel like we should just spend a moment I want you to turn your page over on the other side. And I want you to write down something that you're willing to sacrifice. You might say, whatever that might be, I don't, I don't even want to give you too many examples, but I want you to write down something you're willing to sacrifice. Now, if you don't like peas and you write down peas, carrots, it's not a sacrifice. Write it down. I want you to write down something that you're willing to give to God. That you don't think you're prepared to get back. A sacrifice to God. Somewhere on that paper, I want you to write down and identify what you think your cross is. You need to keep your paper. I'm letting you write thank you. What am I going to sacrifice? What am I going to give? What am I going to give up? You know, it could be a little time. 
It could be some time, some effort, some energy. It could be some words. It could be some media. It could be... I'm not asking you to give up sin. That's the given. You should give up sin. I'm not asking you to give up what's wrong. That's not a sacrifice. Giving up what's wrong is a commandment. <laughs> All right. I'm talking about giving up... I'm talking about giving up things that, that are desirable... Are you ready for the scripture? I'll end with the scripture. Paul said, let let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us and let us run the race. Weight and sin are two different things. Sin is against God. It separates you from God. But weight separates you from God, but it may not be sinful. But weight gets you bogged down, keeps you from the altar, keeps you from worship, keeps you from faithfulness. Wait. The Bible says he wouldn't put on us more than we can bear, but we do. We di- he didn't put all that on you. You did. That's right. So lay aside some things. All right, let's stand together. And we're going to pray over what you've written, and you're going to keep your paper to yourself and put it in your pocket or your purse. Now, Lord, we come before you tonight. We recognize the actual cross that you carried and upon which you hung. We thank you, Lord, for every striking of the nail. We thank you, Lord, for every wound that you bore in your body, for the piercings of your head and your side, your hands and your feet. We thank you, Lord, for the redemptive blood that you spilled. We thank you, Lord, for the day that the Roman soldier plunged his spear into your side and outflowed blood and water. We thank you, Lord, for the blood, the blood that saved us, that redeemed us, the stripes that you put that healed us, the crown that delivered our thoughts and mind. We thank you. Lord, you commanded us to take up a cross, that if we did not deny ourselves and take up a cross, we were not worthy to be counted with you. So tonight we, we pray, Lord, help us not to despise the things that we carry or the burdens that we carry, but let us rejoice in them knowing that these are ordained of you, these things, and that they're helping us make it to our eternal home. And I pray tonight for the congregation that's here and those that are listening and praying with me. I pray, Lord, that they would change their lives, change their thoughts, change their patterns. I pray, Lord, that we would revisit the way we think. I pray, Lord, that we would think spiritual thoughts, kingdom thoughts. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you would grant us mercy and grace. Have pity on us, Lord. We're not always thankful, Lord, for the things you put in our life because we haven't recognized the beauty of them or the eternal, the eternal consequence of them. It is your desire for us to be saved, Lord, and we struggle with that sometimes, Lord. We struggle with your desire because we don't recognize the plan. But Lord, you recognize the plan, so I pray tonight, save us, save our eternal souls, Lord. Help us to be saved. We want to be saved, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for the church that the spirit of sacrifice would flood us. Let it envelop us, Lord, so that we're no longer afraid to make sacrifices to you, whatever that may be, or laying aside weight, whatever that may be, for our individual lives. But we would rejoice in that, knowing that you are a great God and you see all of our efforts, even if they're menial to us, Lord. We, we, we make efforts, Lord. We want to please you. You are the King of glory. You are our Savior. We are the servants. We're the sheep of your field. You are the shepherd. So I pray tonight for all of the congregation. I pray for healing for their bodies. I pray for deliverance from poor thinking. I pray that you would deliver us from pride and egoism and, and self, Lord, that It's confining us, I pray, Lord, for humility among the body, for compassion, Lord, I pray. I pray for an absence of worldly ambition, I pray tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to deny ourselves, Lord. Help us to deny ourselves, Lord. 
And in this small season that we've dedicated for prayer and fasting, Lord, let all the congregation be in unison to pray before you, Lord, to seek you while you may be found. And help us, Lord, to just push away from something in our lives, an intentional desire, Lord, not because it's wrong or sinful, just because we're making a sacrifice unto you, Lord, I pray. And Lord, help us to identify, Lord, what's in our lives that, that we must bear, not, not regrettingly, nor, Lord, not with anger or bitterness, Lord, but just knowing this is something that we have to carry, Lord. And, and so we're going to rejoice in the God of our salvation, rejoice in the cross of Calvary, and we rejoice, Lord, in whatever it takes, Lord, for us to be close to you and to identify with you. And I pray, Lord, for every family, and I pray for every home, Lord, put light, put the Holy Spirit in their home, put it in their car, their language, and their mind. I pray for every age group, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be with them, that, that you would make your investment in their lives, Lord Jesus. And I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ and seal it in your name. And while you're standing there, just lift up your hands unto the Lord and just thank him for his love and his word, his mercy and his grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus.